chapter 29. There was... You know, it has some of my favorite lines, but it's... it's, uh, (coughs) It's a long chapter, but I'm going to keep the class short. The Balshemto was once uh, sitting with his students <coughs> a cold winter evening in his study hall and they hear a knock on the window and uh, a non-Jewish guy sticks his head in through the window and he starts talking to them in Russian. He says, uh, I'm a coachman and my, my horse and wagon just got stuck in the mud. This was like typical par for the course in those days, you know, no paved roads. Triple A. Yeah, <laughs> the type of thing. I mean, but anytime, anytime it rained, you know, the whole traveling thing got thrown off because if your horse hit the wrong ditch, that's it, you were stuck, so I'm gonna have to come pull it out. So the guy, he got stuck right outside the study hall. He sees a building, didn't know it's the Holy Balshemtov and his students. He just walks in. He says, listen, I need help. Can you guys, uh, can you guys come out? So they told him, Niemozhish. In Russian, it means we can't. We can't. What are we? We're rabbis. We don't, uh, we're not plumbers. We can't lift uh, wagon wheels out of the mud. So we can't. So this non Jew, he says, Mozhish, Danye Chochish. You can, but you don't want to. And the Balshemtov overheard this. And he went into a trance and he came out and he started giving a whole sheer on this. Sometimes a non-Jew can teach us a lesson. He says, a lot of times we tell ourselves we can't. But truly, you can. You just don't want to. But chapter 29 is about when you really can't. Not just when you don't want to, when you really can't. See, the theme that we've been developing over the past couple of weeks is that in order to serve God in the right way, you have to have energy. I mean, just to live life and to constantly make the right choices. You were talking before about, you know, dieting right. You need stamina for that. You can't just, it doesn't just come. And uh, the Tanya calls this energy joy. It's not happiness or a pleasure. It's a type of optimism, an inner optimism that causes you to have a good attitude towards life. And uh, otherwise you can't fight the battle. So the whole first half of the Tanya, how to be a Benoni and the right way to live, requires a prerequisite of of energy. Otherwise you can't sustain it. And from chapter 26, we've been dealing with the Chassid, who in effect is telling the Alter Rebbe, I don't have that motivation. And until now, we talked about different reasons. One guy is thrown off by his financial problems. He can't can't live the grind because he can't pay his bills. The other guy is guilty about uh, negative things he did in the past. A third guy in chapter 27 was worried about the uh, struggle of life. He was frustrated. How come it never ends? And then last week, we talked about the guy who was identity crisis. He doesn't know who he is. He finds himself having good thoughts and then bad thoughts and it's throwing him off balance. So in each case, the chassid was able to identify what his problem is. 
So the Alter Rebbe says, here's the recipe. You're struggling with this, this is what you need. You're struggling with that, that's what you need. As long as you can identify the sickness, we can tell you what to do. But in chapter 29, the Alter Rebbe says, there's one more case of lack of motivation we have to address. And that's the guy who just comes in and says, I can't. No reason. I'm just feeling numb. I'm feeling uh, stuck. I'm feeling heavy. I'm stuffed. Kind of like a lethargy, if you will. Depression. Huh? Depression. It's a type of depression, but it's not a, a mental health depression, as we've talked about in the past. But Tanya assumes a healthy person. Mental health issues need a doctor, not a, not a Tanya. So we're talking about, uh, and I guess even robust individuals some days just have a downer. The Alter Rebbe actually calls this condition, he calls it Timtum. Uh, we've talked about in the past Timtum with a Tzadik, and this is Timtum with a Tet. Timtum means um, blockage. It, it's just, you're just feeling stuffed. And you can't figure out why. It also means, it also means uh, like kind of like not smart, like kind of, right? Mitum tam. But in modern Hebrew, that comes from the Hebrew word, which means stuffed. Like your, your brain is stuffed, so you, 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 you're, like, you're like a block. Yeah. So this guy goes, I can't. I don't know what it is. I don't know why I'm feeling this way. I'm just feeling numb. You know, like, it's like walking to a doctor and saying, like, I'm... I'm feeling pain. Where are you feeling pain? I'm just feeling pain. You can't identify it. So what do you do with that? So it's a bit of a harsher, you know, it's, 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 a, it's an interesting chapter. The Alter Rebbe basically quotes a Zohar. So says the Zohar is the headline for the solution. The Zohar says that just like in this world we have yeshivas, Academies where boys learn, students learn, and then there's a, a rabbi who's the head of the academy, he gives a lecture. So it says in Gan Eden, in, 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 in paradise, there's also a yeshiva. And the, the head of the academy in Gan Eden once got up and he said the following. <coughs> he said, everybody knows that when you're trying to light uh, wood on fire, sometimes you have a big log and it doesn't catch. So what do you do when a log is not catching fire? You splinter it. <coughs> you have to chop it up into thinner pieces and then it will catch fire. So he said, the same way if a thick log of wood is not catching fire, you have to splinter it. If a body is not catching the fire of the soul, you have to break it. Splinter the body. That's what he said. So the Alter Rebbe says, that's the solution. If you walk into my office and you say, Rebbe, I'm numb, I'm frozen, I'm stuck, I can't. You know what we have to do? We have to beat you up. Not physically. A spiritual beat up. <clears throat> and a spiritual beat up, the way the Alter Rebbe identifies it is teshuva. You have to go through the process of grieving, mourning, so to speak, over your sins or over wrongdoings, and that will cleanse you. 
you know, there's a whole section in Tanya about tshuva, but just to, to clarify one thing, halachically, tshuva is not an emotional process. People think tshuva involves regret, feeling bad, feeling down. Halachic, dry halachic tshuva is um, <coughs> a resolution. It's just a decision. I'm not going to do anything wrong anymore. It's, it, it puts a complete, you know, full stop to the past, and it's just futuristic. But although that's the dry halacha of tshuva, comprehensive tshuva, if you want to do like a full tshuva, then you got to get the emotions involved. Feeling bad about your past, going through the mourning process that cleanses you, and then you move on. You know, it's like um, many medicines are, are actually toxic for the body. But yet, if they're prescribed in the right dosage, they heal you. If they're controlled, supervised, limited, it can have a, a, you know, a healing effect. Too much overdosage could kill you. Chemo. Huh? Chemo. Chemo. There you go. Same thing. Radioactive stuff. Controlled in the right amounts, it could heal you. Overdose, and it can kill you. So the altar, this is a later part of Tanya, but he, he talks about how tshuva is the same thing. Beating yourself up, negative energy is toxic. We don't believe in negative energy. We believe in positivity, upbeat, joyfulness, but in the right dosage, it could be healing. So if you're feeling numb, you're feeling stuck, it's a sign that you need tshuva. Now, that's very easy to say, but tshuva for what? Remember, we're talking to a benoni. A benoni of the Tanya, the hero of the Tanya is the guy who's in control of himself 100% of the time, never compromised, never failed. So you're telling me to do tshuva, tshuva what for? What am I mourning for? What am I repenting for? I didn't do anything wrong. So, The Alter Rebbe says something very powerful and then he proposes a couple of things that you might do tshuva for. First, he says, listen up. I want to establish a Hasidic reality. Here's a Hasidic reality. We believe that the default setting of a soul and therefore of a Jew is energetic. That's the default of a soul. Upbeat, optimistic, happy, functioning, full of life. If that's lacking, that means there's an obstruction. In other words... Huh? I thought the default was animal Okay. Default position of the godly soul. Yes. Which should be the dominating factor in a Jew, and in a Benoni it is. So, in other words, there's not two options. You know, you're either in this mood or you're in that mood. By default, you're in this mood. You're in a good mood. So if you're coming into my private audience and you're telling me that you're feeling stuck, something is obstructing your soul. 
there's a blockage, there's an obstacle. So by definition, I don't know what yet, we have to you know, work it out together. Because you're saying you never sinned. You never did anything wrong. So we have to identify what it is that tshuva could possibly be, be there for. But that's a fact that there's got to be something there. Because the way Hasidus looks at it, the way Kabbalah looks at it, a Jew is happy by default. That's the natural state. So what is it? What do you do tshuva for? Now, I have to say that, you know, and this is how my teachers taught it to me, this chapter, it, it gets kind of removed from the regular human experience because we're about to give proposals about what a person should be doing tshuva for if he never sinned. In other words, think about where this guy is at. The Alter Rebbe gives him four, four proposals. Three in this chapter, one, in, one next week. But Tanya was written for every Jew, so this part is talking to those higher people, and we could also draw something from it. But here it is. These are the three proposals the Alter Rebbe makes in this chapter, which could be your reason to do tshuva. And I'll just frame it this way. The Alter Rebbe doesn't say this, but I'll just frame it this way. Everybody understands that uh, many things in life are relative. So, just to use a crude example, you have a guy working in the sewer. That's his job, he works the sewer. He wears to work, let's say, uh, you know, dungarees or overalls, some crass clothing, and, uh, you know, imagine it gets a little stain on that piece of clothing. You know, he's not rushing to the cleaners with it, right? Because his mode of work, I mean, he's around all day filth. Well, let's say the overseer of the sewer workers. He's not actually down in the dirt. He also might come to work with more, you know, uh, not, not as refined clothing. But with him, if his clothes get dirty, it'll be a faster journey to the cleaners. And you have the regular guy who's working, not with dirt, he's working in the office. But he's not uh, the professional guy who has to wear a suit to work. He could have afford to wear a t-shirt and, and jeans. Okay, we, we've risen on the elegance level. And so with him, if this, you know, if he's eating lunch and uh, some of the, I don't know, meatballs and spaghetti gets on his shirt, okay, he's gotta clean it. Then you go to the guy wearing the finest suit. You know, with him, not only is taking his clothes to the cleaners, what classifies as dirt on that suit is a whole different level. You, know, you don't need a big mud spot to dirty a $5,000 suit. If, if for him, it could be something small as anything, something white fell on it, and now the whole thing, I gotta take it to the cleaners and I gotta clean it. So, I guess, the, wow, Baruch Haba. Straight from work. Wow, welcome back. Get some food. Get a yarmulke. Pretending to be a doctor, but he's really a nurse. So, I guess the, the idea that I'm trying to convey is that what's, you know, one person's dirt is another man's cleanliness. And the, the same is true in our own lives. 
what yesterday classified as something worth regretting. I'm sorry. What yesterday classified as something okay, as we rise, now as we mature, looking back on it, we could say, you know what? That could have used some adjustment. And then in 20 more years down the line, you go, yeah, that was silly. You know, could have done it better. Even if in the moment, let's say you corrected it, you made it right, but then as your horizons broaden, you know, everything broadens, your context broadens. So you look back and you can say, I can go back and recorrect it or make it even more right. And by the way, King David said this in Tehillim. David HaMelech says in a verse, says, negdi tamid. My sin is always opposite me. Now, what kind of life is that? A guy who's always living with his sins in front of his face? You did something bad, you corrected it, and move on. So the Altar Rebbe explains in this chapter, he says, David HaMelech is not living a depressive life. He's actually telling himself what real tshuva is. Real tshuva is that even as I graduate, I keep on looking back to see if by today's standards, I can polish it up a little more. That's the first proposal. Alter Rebbe says to this guy, you don't have anything to do tshuva for? Fine, but maybe something in your youth that you already corrected could use repolishing. The level to which you've grown today requires that looking back, we could put another scrub on it. Now, me and you, you know, it's not our arena, okay? We, we've got stuff to correct for the first time, you know? We're not repolishing the ones we did when we were you know, 10 years old and we got it. But the Alter Rebbe says, something's got to be blocking, so maybe that's it. That's proposal one. Proposal two. The guy says, no, Rebbe, everything is polished, you know? No, I, I got nothing. I, I, everything is good. Is there another... Something else that could be blocking my soul. So the author says, yeah. Because you know, tshuva, and this is, tshuva is not just for things you did wrong. Tshuva could also be for things you didn't do right. For example, have you ever eaten more than you had to? Have you ever eaten more than you had to? Have you ever spoken a word more than you had to? Now, it's not bad, but in the realm of absolute holiness versus klipa, something meaningless is something negative. So if you overstepped a boundary that wasn't, you know, immediate necessity, you might want to do tshuva for that. And by the way, even if it's not the level where we're at, we could relate to that. In other words, we eat by the truckloads, you know, more than we need to. And we talk, we talk way more, way more than we need to. So in that way, you know, we could all use that to... Uh, but is it, is it, are you not supposed to, uh, I mean, are you, not, are you not supposed to eat and talk? Like you're, like no, of course you are. How much you need? I mean, how much you need, I mean, that's, that's, 
kind of strict. Like, how much do you want no, to talk about? No, so, so here, here's where I would, you know, taking, taking the liberty here and saying that uh, everything is relative to your spiritual standing. Whereas the Alter Rebbe expected everyone to be the Benoni that he could be. Now, the absolute criteria is every free moment you're learning Torah. So when do you have time to talk about world events? You know, you're supposed to be learning the whole day. Now, the other guy, for him, that's not a compromise. You know, where he comes from, taking his background into context, he's building it up. So he needs to talk a little bit. Okay, how much do you need to? And then once you're going excessive, now you're overstepping the boundary. It, it ties into the theme of Iskafia. You know, remember we said about saying no instead of now. And for every person, it'll be, you know, it'll be what it'll be. <laughs> There's a story that the, the Alter Rebbe once, I forget the context now, but the Alter Rebbe was sitting with a chassid and he said, I'm a benoni. I'm a benoni. So the chassid said to the Alter Rebbe, Rebbe, if you're a benoni, you know, what are we? Where does that leave us? So the Alter Rebbe said, what do you think? There's only one type of benoni. He said, he said, a Benoni is, is, is an entire world. There are 60 levels of Benoni. In other words, it's got to be measured. But this person, this, this Chassad is the higher caliber. The Alter Rebbe is telling him, have you ever done anything meaningless? Meaningless doesn't necessarily mean evil. But in this context, meaninglessness could obstruct your soul. That's the second proposal. Third proposal, and this is like next level. Okay, the Alter Rebbe says, no, no, so the, the, the Chassid says, listen, everything is polished. I never did anything meaningless in my life. What's blocking me now? Ready for this? The Alter Rebbe says, have you ever had a meaningless dream. A meaningless dream. And, and he gives it a Kabbalistic context. There's a, a fascinating piece of Zohar. This is, this is very interesting. The Zohar says, that I'm, I'm going to give this a little bit of context, and then you'll, you know, let's, let's unpack it, and then we'll bring it back. The Zohar says that every soul before it was born was in Gan Eden, in paradise. Now, paradise is the perfect environment for a soul. If a soul is in Gan Eden, it's being fully taken care of. Kind of think of like how uh, cigars have to be in the right temperature. Wine has to be in the right temperature. Otherwise, it gets ruined. So, a neshama needs its, its proper environment. Gan Eden is its proper environment. Now, a soul is born. Now, it's in a foreign environment. It's in the body. Every night, when we go to sleep, our souls are given a chance to return for a refresher in their natural environment. Zohar says every night the neshama ascends to Gan Eden and draws forth life. But the extent to which the soul is allowed into Gan Eden depends on what a day you had. So if you had a perfect day, 
perfect, they don't mean perfect in the physical sense. Perfect, they mean in your soul sense. You have a perfect soul day. And your neshama goes free pass into Ganeiden, has the full experience, a full refreshing experience. As the degrees go down, less and less perfect, your neshama actually gets excluded from different parts of the refreshing process. And then you go into a car wash, you have these different options, right? For $7, you get the express. For $10, you get the waxing on the tires. Then you get a repaint. So the amount that the soul invested, that's the amount to which it gets a car wash that, that, that day. Says the Zohar, what happens if a Jew had an imperfect day? The neshama gets completely excluded. It doesn't have a chance to refresh. And how will you know this? Says the Zohar, the impure spiritual forces, the klipot, come to the person in his dreams and they laugh at him. They taunt him. You know, remember when we were in school, you had that kid that ended up, the poor kid tied to his desk. Everyone just walks by him and goes, hey, 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 just for fun. Right? Kid can't do anything. And you're just laughing at him. You're taunting him. So the guy is sleeping. He's in his, you know... When you're sleeping, the, the, the trademark of sleep is that you're, you're, you're out of control. You don't die when you're in sleep. Everything is still there, but you're not in control. So the klipas come and they laugh at you. So the altar ever says, look, if you had a meaningless dream, what that means is in a certain way, you didn't have a perfect day. For you, who have everything polished, no sins, no meaningless words or, 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 or actions or eating, your imperfect day could look much more perfect than most people. But if, nevertheless, if it's an imperfect day, that's something that could be obstructing your soul and therefore requires tshuva. So that's the three proposals. Either um, repolishing, recorrecting, a meaningless action and a meaningless dream. Those could be reasons for tshuva. There's going to be a fourth one next week, which is a great comment. I love chapter 30. Best one. Um, yeah, it's a whole, it opens up a beautiful window into humility. But uh, th- those are the three things. But this is, this is the, uh, the crux of, of most of chapter 29. The Alter Rebbe is saying, if you're feeling numb and you can't identify a reason, it means there's something blocking in your soul. Something. Maybe it's very refined that requires tshuva. Going through a, a remorseful process and that breaks the negativity. But then the Alter Rebbe kind of segues and he says one of the, one of my favorite things. Okay, one of the, uh, you know, we've come up a couple of times in Tanya against what I called a uniquely Tanyaic position, right? Something uniquely Hasidic to the Alter Rebbe. Of course, later on it was explained by the later Rebbes, but he, he says this. And I brought it up once, a couple of months ago, within a different context, but here is where it's really expounded on in this chapter. Goodness and evil are not two realities. They're an entity and a non-entity. In the view of the Tanya, goodness is real, evil is artificial. 
In other words, kind of like light and darkness. Darkness is not a thing. It's the absence of light. Biggest proof, darkness never battles light. You ever turn on a light and you see a struggle? There's never a struggle. Because you just introduce the light. Light goes away. In the absence of light, there's darkness. But darkness isn't, a, isn't an entity. Joy and negative emotions. The Alter Rebbe says the same thing. Joy is real. Negativity is a vacuum of joy. So if you're feeling negativity, what that means is you've allowed it to exist. Because of course evil exists. Alter Rebbe is not saying evil is a non-thing. There's so much evil in the world. But the idea is that evil is not essentially, it's not, it's not inherently existent. It's there because we allow it to be there. The second we turn on the light, it won't be there. So he says, in a certain way, whenever you come to me, the author Rebbe says, this chapter, the last four chapters we've been learning, whenever you come to me and say, I'm feeling sad, I'm not, I don't have the motivation, understand that you're fighting a non-battle. It's very empowering. The solutions that I'm giving you are just ways to turn on the light. As soon as you turn on the light, the myth of the, of the sadness is no longer, no longer there. Because your Yetzir Hara, your evil inclination, is also a non-entity. And his first weapon to bring you down is a heaviness, a sadness, a depression. Non-entities make uses of, of non-entities in their battle against holiness. And so what you're really doing when you do this tshuva, or when you increase in your faith in God, or when you appreciate the value of struggle, or whatever it may be, what you're essentially doing is just shaking yourself up, so to speak, and bringing the true awareness to the fore. Because the default state, like I said before, the default state of the soul is joy. The default state of the Jew is believing in God, is being connected to the right things. So all of this heaviness, all of this numbness, all of this frozenness, all this stuck, appreciate that it's nothing. It's a non-thing. It's the absence of you having the energy that you need. Bring back the energy and you'll see it won't be a struggle. There will not be a struggle. You think there'll be a struggle, but it's just going to be gone. And, and it, you know, this, this deals with what we've been talking about, but it's also a general theme. It's a very, very broad theme. That's to the real core of what a Jew is. By default, a Jew is a believer. By default, a Jew is alive, is joyful. And the Altareb actually brings a support from the Torah. It's pretty rare that Altareb does this. Literally a verse in the Torah. You know the story of the spies? Moshe Rabbeinu sent 12 spies, scout out the land. And they were supposed to deliver, you know, uh, the easiest way in. Tell us about the people, about the land, and how should we go in? 
they skip the whole drama, but basically they, they come back and they start uh, complaining. It's too big, too strong, we'll never be able to win, da 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 da, a whole thing. Okay? What does God say? No problem. You don't want to go into the land? You're staying right here. Spies are going to die. You'll be stuck for 40 years in the desert. Your children, they'll go into Israel. What happened right after God said that? The second after God said that. It says in the Torah, the Jews said, Oi, we did an Aveda. We sinned against God. Let's go to Israel. Let's go. Moshe Rabbeinu says, don't go. God's not with you now. You forfeited the opportunity. No, we're going. They, they climb up the mountain to go fight the, the, uh, the nation. They all get killed. A whole group of Jews get killed. So that's the basic story. The author of it says, I don't understand what happened. A minute ago, you're convinced that the spies are speaking the truth. It's a bad land. You're complaining. We don't want to go. Da, 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 da. God says 40 years in the desert and you're back. We want to go. Let's go. What happened? So the Alter Rebbe says, it's exactly what happened. Every Jew by default is a believer. Every Jew wants to do what Hashem did. What happened when the spies came was that an obstacle was created. They start spreading bad rumors, negativity. The wall starts building. But the second God gave them a slap in the face, the second they got a shake up, there was no battle. Everything faded, they wanted to do God's will again. Now, it was too late in that case. But the story shows you that the forces going against are not a thing. And therefore, when you destroy them, they get destroyed as easy as pie. I remember saying a couple of months ago that the, uh, the difference between a truth and a lie, truth is essentially truth. A lie only exists so long as there's people believing it. The second there's nobody believing it, it, it doesn't, it just doesn't exist. So, klipa, negative forces are a lie. So long as we're allowing it to exist, it'll be there. And it'll be there strongly. It'll, it'll, it'll make us lazy, it'll make us down, it'll make us depressed. But the second we can gather the strength to fight it, we'll actually find that it's nothing. We don't even engage in a battle. And so the Altar Rebbe kind of, in the end of the chapter, kind of goes, you know, let's, let's, let's take this out broadly. A Jew who declares he doesn't believe in God doesn't need a lecture. The answer to an atheist is not a lecture of proving and, and disproving. Every Jew essentially believes. It's just a question of when his shakeup will come. And when the shakeup comes, he will find that there's no resistance. And one of the most powerful stories that I heard as a, as a yeshiva student. Somebody once came to the uh, Mittler Rebbe, the second Rebbe of Chavad, or maybe it was his, the third Rebbe, one of the two. Comes into a private audience and uh, he breaks down crying. He says, Rebbe, I don't know what to do. What happened? I have doubts. 
about my faith in God. I'm no longer convinced that God is a true existence. So the Rebbe says, okay, what's wrong? He says, Rebbe, what do you mean? I'm telling you, I don't have faith in God. I'm, I'm, I'm losing my faith. He says, so what's wrong? I, I, I've seen worse problems. Why is this bothering you? So he said, because I'm Jewish. So the Rebbe said, if that's the case, you'll be fine. What's the message of the story? You know, when you hear a guy say, I have doubts about my convictions, you know, let, let, let's, let's imagine just, I don't like to bring this in, but let's just imagine a Christian. He expresses his doubts about his religion. How would, he, how would we interpret his frustration? If he came here tonight and said, listen guys, I just want you to know, I'm 40 years old, I grew up in a devoutly Christian household, and uh, I'm having doubts if Mr. You-Know-Who is the Messiah. And it's, it's messing with me. You came to the right place. Welcome! <laughs> <laughs> okay, right? Burger! We're going to offer him sponsors for next year. And, and, and you can see he's bothered, you can see he's frustrated, you can see he's crying. The simple way to explain the frustration is because nobody likes to live on the fence. Right? It's, it's either I'm in or I'm out. You know, if I, was, if I was convinced that the truth is the truth, I'm happy. If it's not the truth, I don't want to live this life. That's, that's the confusion. Nobody likes to live in a place where you're not sure if you're here nor there. But for the Jew, for the chassid in the story, the Rebbe was asking him, what's wrong? What is it about your doubts that gets to you? You say you doubt your faith in God. Okay, what's wrong? The chassid didn't say what's wrong is because I'm confused and I don't want to live a life that I don't believe in. He said, I'm a Jew. What does that mean? That means he knows that I'm anchored in the truth. As a Jew, I believe. As a Jew, I'm connected. So how could it be that I have doubts? So the Rebbe said, if that's the case, if, if you're connected to that part of yourself that knows that as a Jew, you inherently believe, you'll be fine. And that's, I think, that's the, 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 the core of the Jew. It's the fact that we always know we're a Jew. And any obstruction is not, not an entity. It's a myth. It's a myth that has to be popped. And the second we pop it, we'll see it's not there. So we started with the confused chassid, the numb chassid. I'm numb and I don't know why. The altar tells him, I can tell you for a fact, there's something blocking the, 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 the conduit of your soul. What it is for you, you're a perfect person. So for you, it might be recorrecting past sins. It might be uh, you know, meaningless actions that you took to, to, to correct that. It might be a meaningless dream. But regardless of who you are, know this. Whatever battle you're fighting, whatever, whatever your soul is up against, it's really up against nothing.
And it's about finding that part of yourself where you can pop the myth and let your inner self come out as a pure and believing Jew. Hi. 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 Hi.